Good afternoon. You're listening to KFSK News for Monday, January 22nd. Petersburg will be the newest community-supporting member of the United Fishermen of Alaska, or UFA. That follows a unanimous vote by the borough assembly at their regular meeting last week. Vice Mayor Donna Marsh said she hopes the move will help boost the local fishing industry further down the line. Commercial fishing is so integral to Petersburg. I think it would make sense to um, have the support of a professionally recognized organization also trying to keep that industry alive. UFA's mission is to promote and protect the common interests of Alaska's commercial fishing industry. It supports all commercial gear types and takes a neutral position on disputes between gear type groups. And its website says UFA wants to further initiatives to develop new fisheries and increase efforts to market Alaska seafood. Petersburg will join UFA's long list of communities supporting members along Alaska's coast. That list includes Aleutians East Borough, the city of Cordova, the city of Huna, the city of Seward, and the Kodiak Island Borough. Annual membership will cost the borough $350. The U.S. Environmental Protection Agency in November proposed one of the largest changes to lead pipe regulations in three decades. The strict overhaul set forth by the Biden administration requires every community to test their service lines and submit the results by April. But as Jack Darrell reports, Ketchikan's utility department is not sure that the deadline is realistic. Studies in recent years have linked lead in drinking water to lower IQ scores in children and higher risk of heart disease in adults. More often than not, that lead comes from old municipal pipes. According to Randy Bates, the director of the state's Department of Environmental Conservation Water Division, lead pipes are a much bigger problem in more industrialized parts of the country. In general, Alaska's infrastructure is so much newer. We don't have as many lead service connections here in Alaska as other down south, more established long-term down south infrastructure. But every community in the state is required to test their service lines just the same. The comprehensive results must be submitted to the state's DEC by April 24th. John Kleiniger is the Water Division Manager at Ketchikan Public Utilities. He says that getting it done in time will be a struggle for them and other water utilities across the state. Yeah, we're going to be busy. We're working with an engineering consulting firm uh, to help us uh, put all the pieces together because, yeah, to have um, even a draft report prepared by April 24th, that's not much time. And it's not just public service lines. It's the pipes on private properties, too. To pull this off in Ketchikan, Kleininger began sending utility employees door-to-door, starting with the oldest structures in town first. First on the list was the Pioneer Hall, built in 1900. And then working into the 10s and the 20s and possibly into the 30s. And and beyond then, uh, or that, I don't think we're going to see anything other than some galvanized service lines, which you know, might have been installed in the 40s during World War II. Kleininger says you don't need to wait for a knock at the door to find out if you have a lead service line in your house, though. You can do it yourself, but you might get a little bit dusty. He tells customers to first locate the incoming line, usually in the crawl space or underneath the house. If you scratch it with, you know, a screwdriver or something like that, if it's lead, uh, you'll see a a shiny dark gray surface, whereas the rest of the lead service line is a dull gray. Lead is soft as far as metals go. If a pipe is galvanized steel, scratching it with a screwdriver won't do much. Kleininger says if it's lead, you'll know. Or you can always send a picture to your local water utility to make sure. 
Kleiniger says that as each Alaskan community rushes towards the April deadline, the money and man hours will add up, especially if infrastructure upgrades are needed. But Carrie Bohan with the DEC says there's federal money to help. She says the state has funding through the EPA to provide loans as well as small grants. If they do determine that they have lead service lines that need to be replaced, there's still four more years worth of those grant dollars, which are substantial, available for, for us to apply for. The pot of funds is roughly $28 million over five years. After a draft review and comment period of Alaska's test results, the final inventory is due to the feds by October 16th. In Ketchikan... I'm Jack Darrell. The Alaska legislature on Thursday failed to override a veto by Governor Mike Dunleavy that erased $87 million in education funding. Last year, as gridlock threatened a government shutdown, the House and the Senate agreed to provide $175 million in one-time funding for public schools. Governor Mike Dunleavy vetoed half of that total. The House and Senate gathered in a joint session for the vote, which failed 33 to 26. Three-quarters of the combined bodies, or 45 votes, would have been required to override the veto. Senator Bill Wilikowski, an Anchorage Democrat, says he's disappointed. Obviously, I'd hope that we'd have the votes. Education is so critical to uh, people all across the state, and we've got a constitutional obligation to fund education. And... Um, you know, it's, uh, it, it's tough. Fourteen senators, most of the majority caucus, voted in favor of the override, though three Republicans voted against it. In the House, 21 members voted against it. The lead-up to the vote was somewhat unusual. The House narrowly rejected a vote to call a joint session on Tuesday. After some members argued on the floor that the Alaska Constitution required a vote on the vetoes, Speaker Kathy Tilton agreed to call a joint session without a vote. But lawmakers did not take up any of the other measures vetoed by Dunleavy. Governor Mike Dunleavy outlined a variety of ideas to address Alaska's energy needs in his budget proposal. From natural gas to power lines to financing, Alaska Public Media's Eric Stone took a closer look at a few of those ideas. First, there's the immediate concern. South Central Alaska is running out of natural gas. State officials warned last January that by 2027, established fields in Cook Inlet likely won't produce enough gas to supply Alaska's largest population centers. Cook Inlet gas provides 80 to 90 percent of the rail belt's heat and electricity, according to a report from the governor's Alaska Energy Security Task Force. Governor Mike Dunleavy says the state will provide incentives. We're working on an initiative on Cook Inlet gas. We believe there's a lot of gas in Cook Inlet, uh, and we just got to get it out of the ground and get it to uh, get into the pipe. In a recent op-ed in the Anchorage Daily News, Dunleavy said he planned to introduce a bill to, quote, improve the economics of gas production in Cook Inlet. The bill text hasn't been made public, but Dunleavy's office said in October that the proposal would reduce minimum royalties on new projects with an additional cut to royalties for the first 10 years of production. He pitched it during his budget release and tied it to efforts to lower the cost of living through stable energy supplies. We've got to make this an inviting place for, for people with families. We've got to make this an inviting place for young folks to be able to afford. But it's unclear whether breaks on royalties would spur enough drilling to ease supply concerns. This year's royalty-free lease sale, that instead relied on profit sharing, yielded only six bids. And that's similar to other recent sales, according to the Alaska Beacon. Dunleavy also referenced the long-hoped-for Alaska LNG project. That's a pipeline that would bring North Slope gas to Nikiski. Despite reports of ambivalence from potential gas customers, Dunleavy said he's optimistic. 
that prospect is still being discussed at high levels in boardrooms around the world. I came back from New York and Washington about a month and a half ago, had discussions with folks in uh, some of the investment houses. Um, there is still a desire to uh, uh, get a project going. Dunleavy's not the only one with ideas to address the looming gas shortage. House Speaker Kathy Tilton, a Republican from Wasilla, says it's a priority for her caucus. I think you'll see that as being one of the top priorities of, of the legislature, not just cooking like gas, but energy overall and bringing the cost down for Alaskans. She said House Energy Committee Chair George Rauscher plans to introduce a pair of bills at the start of next year's legislative session to address the issue. An Energy Committee spokesperson said Rauscher, a Sutton Republican, was unavailable for an interview, and Telton declined to provide details, saying she hadn't been briefed. A group of Democratic and Independent House members called for a shift towards renewable energy in an Anchorage Daily News write-up while also recognizing the need to maintain existing gas production. Another piece of energy policy Dunleavy outlined during his budget rollout is a wide-ranging plan to upgrade the state's largest electrical grid. Our transmission lines, uh, in many cases, on the rail belt, they're old, outdated. And what we want to do is be able to upgrade those lines so that we can put uh, much more power on those lines in anticipation of new energy sources coming into Alaska. In November, the Biden administration announced a $206 million grant for the Alaska Energy Authority. The money would go towards a variety of grid upgrades, including an undersea cable connecting the Kenai Peninsula to a power station on the west side of Cook Inlet, plus two battery facilities to smooth out variations in wind and solar generation. The grant requires a dollar-for-dollar state match spread over several years, which is not yet included in the governor's budget, says Budget Director Lacey Sanders. We just received word about this funding availability, and it's going to take a little bit of time for us to get um, a plan that's well-developed. House Minority Leader Calvin Schrange says power line upgrades would be transformative for the rail belt power grid. The Anchorage Independent and former Energy Committee chair points to the Bradley Lake Hydroelectric Dam on the Kenai Peninsula, which the Alaska Energy Authority says provides some of the cheapest power in the state. We have an inability to expand that and move the electricity that's needed in the interior up to the interior due to the transmission lines being limited. That electricity gets bottlenecked. Uh, So by improving our transmission lines, we can uh, continue to build out renewables that we know work and are very low cost and move them to the places where they need electricity most. Dunleavy also called on lawmakers to create a so-called Green Bank, which would help finance renewable energy and efficiency programs. We're hoping it gets passed this year. That'll be able to, uh, from some estimates, turn $1 into nine additional dollars with private uh, sector money as well as um, some grants. The governor introduced bills last session that would create the Alaska Energy Independence Fund within the Alaska Housing Finance Corporation, but the bills didn't make it out of committee before the House and Senate adjourned for the year. When it analyzed the bill earlier this year, the State Department of Revenue recommended seeding the account with roughly $40 million split between state and federal funds. Shiragi says he's a fan of the idea, which he says has been successful in other states. For example, if you want to put a rooftop solar project uh, in at your house, that can oftentimes be very cost prohibitive up front. Uh, you know, uh, and, and so what this would do is it would create new funding sources to help people uh, uh, deploy these renewable projects. The House and Senate convened January 16th to start working through the proposals. Reporting in Juneau, I'm Eric Stone. The number of syphilis cases in Alaska has increased dramatically over the past six years. The state now has one of the highest rates of sexually transmitted infection in the country. So the state's Department of Health recommends that all sexually active adults get tested for syphilis. 
Dr. Liz Olson is a physician with the state's Division of Public Health. We've seen syphilis go from being very rare in Alaska to unfortunately being much more common now. So syphilis is a sexually transmitted infection. And so sexually active people, especially people with new partners, are at risk. Cases jumped from about 20 in 2016 to over 400 in 2022. Olson recommends Alaskans get tested each time they have a new sexual partner and every three to six months if they have multiple sexual partners. Olson says testing is important because many people don't have symptoms early in their infection. And even without symptoms, they can pass syphilis to their sexual partners. Olson says symptoms will become more severe later on. Syphilis doesn't usually go away. It it usually stays in the body and then it can cause worse symptoms later down the road. Problems with the brain, people can lose eyesight or have hearing problems problems with nerves. Some people can even develop heart problems or balance problems or memory problems. Olson says if syphilis is caught early, treatment requires just one shot of penicillin. Olson says that it's also important for pregnant women to get tested and treated if they have syphilis. If the disease is passed to an unborn baby, it can cause stillbirth or lifelong health complications. Alaskans can get tested for syphilis by their primary care doctor. And Olson says even uninsured people can get free or low-cost testing at their nearest public health center. The parent company of three Alaska newspapers is looking for a new owner as it restructures its finances. Black Press Media owns the Juno Empire, the Peninsula Clarion, and the Homer News. A spokesperson for Black Press did not answer KTOO's questions about whether the three papers would continue to publish long-term or whether layoffs were planned. But he said the company plans to continue publishing during the restructuring. Black Press owns nearly 100 newspapers in Canada and dozens more in the western United States. The company has filed for creditor protection in Canada, which allows them to come up with a plan to pay off debt under court supervision. Case documents say Black Press Media's earnings have steadily fallen over the last decade, as print readership has declined and advertising revenue has dropped. Local daily printing of the Empire and the Peninsula Clarion stopped last spring. Now, both papers are printed twice a week. Editors for the three Alaskan papers and their publishers declined to comment on Black Press Media's potential sale. The sale is expected to happen by March 15th. For KFSK, I'm Hannah Floor.